It is my privilege indeed to read um, the word tonight. Uh, we're reading from Luke chapter 7. Um, that's on page, as Paul said, 731. And we're starting at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And when it gets a bit boring, you just read the story, see? It's really good. If you lose concentration, easy to lose concentration, just pick it up again by reading the story. Can't do any harm. Um, one of the things that happened to me that Paul elucidated was that was, there was a day, and I can tell you the day, time and place, uh, when I uh, made a decision. Uh, it, was very, it was the most important decision of my life, even more important than the job I'm in or the... Uh, after all, there won't be any ministers in heaven. Let's think about that. <laughs> well, we won't be ministers in heaven. Uh, we won't need to have ministers in heaven. <laughs> uh, and more important even than who I married and all that sort of stuff, it was the most important decision of my life. And uh, I mention that to you because sometimes we are very good at avoiding decisions. One of the ways we avoid decisions is by making lots of them. Uh, we make lots and lots of trivial decisions like... Uh, where I'm going to work. Pretty trivial in the end. Or, uh, or um, trivial decisions about where I'm going to live. Doesn't matter in the end. Or where I'm going to eat. Doesn't matter. 
And we make all those decisions as a way of putting off the big decisions, which are our relationship with God. That's the big one. And tonight I'm going to say to you, okay, whatever reason you're here, you might have come in off the street. Maybe you're here every week. I don't know. But tonight is a night for decision. Uh, for decision about Jesus and a decision about that personal relationship with Jesus that you may well have been putting off. I'm going to invite you tonight via this story to make that act of decision and commitment to him. Let's pray. Dear God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have introduced us to Jesus through this word and we pray now that you would give us grace by your Holy Spirit to believe it and obey it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now the story is about one of those most important experiences of life, namely forgiveness. It's Brad, isn't it? Brad was talking to us about forgiveness uh, just a minute ago. He mentioned grace, and that's absolutely an allied concept to forgiveness. You know about forgiveness, and you know that uh, in your experience there are moments when you have to receive forgiveness, and there are moments when you have to give forgiveness. If you're married, you know all about forgiveness. But if you're in any family, you know about forgiveness. You know the hardest day of the year for a family? Christmas Day. Why? Well, because Christmas Day brings out the need to come and eat together. And when you eat together, you're really saying, we forgive each other. Mum is saying, this is one happy family. And you want to keep her confused like that. So you come, despite everything that your brother has said about you during the year, despite the tensions that exist, despite the fact that you have a grudge against your dad, you'll come for mum's sake and you'll sit down and pretend. But you know that it's hard to be there because there's no forgiveness. You haven't forgiven or maybe you haven't been forgiven. Forgiveness. If you go through life at all uh, and reflect on life at all, you'll find that forgiveness is one of the most important elements of life. We've got to have it. Now, some of us here tonight uh, know this very well because you have a conscience and there are things about which in your conscience have never been resolved. Now, one way of dealing with conscience is to have a bad memory. Uh, that doesn't work very well because something will bring it back to your memory. And indeed, if there's something that ought to be on your conscience and you've forgotten about it, that doesn't help much because there's something called guilt. Now, your conscience can accuse you of having done something wrong and often does. But sometimes our consciences aren't very good and we uh, put that aside. But you see, there's something objective called guilt. Guilt is the idea of something that we owe. It may be money, but it's often we owe someone something that we should do to make up for something. Something we owe. Some of us here, as I say, have, uh, have come with a clearly guilty conscience. It may be something you've seen, something you've taken part in, something that happened to you. Maybe that my thoughtless mention earlier on of abortion may have sparked off a memory for you which you've been trying to avoid. And I'm sorry, I should have mentioned to you I was going to say that. But sometimes people do have those feelings of guilt. 
Mostly, however, people uh, are not really sharp in conscience and manage to avoid the feelings of guilt that we ought to have. Now, forgiveness is always in the news one way or another. The hopeless treadmill of violence and retribution can only be stopped when someone forgives. Or put it another way, the hopeless treadmill of violence and retribution can only be stopped by justice. You know, uh, you, you see it on the telly. Someone has been put on trial for murder and after the trial, the relatives are, in, are interviewed and they say, well, nothing can bring her back, but at last we've had justice. And there's a sense in which the delivery of justice will stop retribution and violence. But along with justice, there needs to be forgiveness because human justice is always going to be inadequate. It's never going to be entirely adequate. When a person is put in jail for life, that's all very well, but why weren't they hanged? As many feel they should be. I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying some people don't think being put in jail for life is enough to make good. Now, we know that uh, in our world all sorts of evil things happen, and we've also seen, frankly, that forgiveness is sometimes too easily given. Or we're told we must forgive when it's too hard to forgive. And sometimes uh, one of the things that I have to deal with sometimes is uh, the results of uh, child sex abuse. And sometimes uh, people who have been abused in childhood are told, just forgive, just forgive, when it's a lot more difficult to forgive when your whole life has been traumatised and ongoing every day and where the person who did this is beyond the reach of justice, either because no one will bring them to justice or perhaps they've died already. How can you forgive then? But it doesn't have to be as horrendous as that. It could be slightly lower down the scale. Uh, what have we been reading about this week? Well, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been reading about certain rugby league goings on. Uh, I, did I see a headline in today's paper, uh, uh, rugby league players forbidden or banned from nightclubs? Did I see that? That is an amazing thought. Uh, even the nightclubs feel. Anyhow, uh, we've been reading about rugby league. We've been reading about a certain events allegedly taking place in New Zealand, if we think about that just for a moment. And there's been a debate going on about whether consent was enough. Well, I guess if uh, the person involved did consent then that changes things legally, but it doesn't change much things morally, does it? If you're involved either as uh, the men involved or the girl involved, morally, these things should never have happened, and morally, the men themselves are, I think, more guilty than the girl herself. You see, uh, is it okay to supply drugs to people? To take another case, is it okay to supply drugs to people if the people consent? No, even if they are willing to receive your drugs, it doesn't mean that supplying drugs to people is right. Consent might make a difference legally in some cases, but it doesn't make a difference morally. But that seems to have lost, uh, been lost in the discussion because when we talk about things like the goings-on in New Zealand with the rugby league players... The morality of it is something that we avoid. Now what the Bible does for us is it makes us look evil straight in the face. We have to be aware not just of the weaknesses of others. It's easy to cast stones at the rugby league players and indeed the, the woman involved. It's easy to cast stones. The trouble is that uh, we are all on a continuum of evil. There is something evil in the heart of all of us. 
which, given the circumstances, comes out and displays itself. I've raised five children, as I told you earlier. I never, ever had to teach a single one of them to do the wrong thing. Never. They just did that by themselves. Teaching them the right thing, that was what turned us into a nightmare. How to get them to do the right thing. My niece, uh, my little niece, she, uh, the first sentence she ever uttered was a lie. <laughs> she was two years old and she said, he did it. <laughs> it was evident she'd done it. You never had to teach her to lie, she did it automatically. It's interesting, human beings are like that. Because every human being carries around within himself, within herself, a heart of evil, which breaks out when opportunity allows. Perhaps not as much as with some people, but, you know, given the right circumstance, put into the right situation, you would be surprised what you are capable of. That's the trouble. Sometimes uh, you're not so bad simply because you haven't had the opportunity to be bad. People are always observing you, for example. Or you've never had a need. Or your parents were very kind to you and made you a happy person or whatever. But actually, under the circumstances, you could. Not because, oh, well, you might topple off your throne or something, but rather because carrying around inside you is the seeds of evil which break out. And then who's going to forgive you? So that's a good question, isn't it? Who is going to forgive you? Oh, I know some people need to forgive you. You may well find if you look back over your relationship, and the older you are, the more truth this is, you'll find people who need to forgive you. Maybe you've never asked, never worried about it, but they do. There's a relationship broken there, which ought to be fixed. But in the world, who's going to forgive you? Where is forgiveness to be found? Now, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, that we can't be trusted. We all have darkness in our hearts capable of secret sins. If you uh, care to ask yourself, is your uh, speech, for example, thoroughly loving and thoroughly good? Just start with with what the things you say and you'll get an idea of what you're capable of. And the Bible tells us that we need to be forgiven. Now, come with me to this story, because it's all about forgiveness. First of all, it's a story of a dinner. It's a story of a dinner, and let's think about the host, first of all. We know the name of the host. His name was Simon. He was called a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a group, like a religious group, in the people, amongst the people of those days, highly respected. Uh, we use the word Pharisee as a, as a nasty word. That was not true in those days. It was a highly respected group of people because they were obedient as far as they could be to God's law and respectable, much admired amongst the people. And so Jesus goes into the home of this Pharisee, a picture of respectability. Not only that, let me say that he was apparently admiring of Jesus. That was a good start. He was able to say true things about Jesus and to Jesus. For example, he he realized that he was a teacher and a prophet. And yet this host of the dinner, and he was giving a very nice dinner on behalf of Jesus, you've got to say that's a good thing, was shocked, shocked by what he saw. He saw a woman come in. You could do it in those days. You walk into the house, and uh, it was more open than these days. 
And he saw this woman came in of a very dubious reputation indeed and go to Jesus. And you'll see, you remember what she did for Jesus. She began to, uh, uh, began to uh, wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and poured perfume on them. These were marks of hospitality, perhaps extravagant marks of hospitality, which Simon the Pharisee hadn't really given to Jesus as a mark of this high esteem. Uh, He'd invited him to dinner after all, wasn't that enough? Uh, But really this woman comes in and gives Jesus extravagant marks of hospitality and greeting. And Simon's shocked. He's shocked. If he was right in his estimate of Jesus as being a teacher and a prophet, if he was right enough to invite him to dinner, then how come come this teacher and prophet didn't know enough to know that this woman and this sinful woman was not a person that he should allow to touch him, let alone to go through this extravagant symbolic gesture of washing and wiping and, and pouring out perfume, and so forth. Why is Jesus, if he is such a great prophet, mixing with such a loser? Now, uh, Jesus um, demonstrates that he is a prophet because he instantly reads Simon, doesn't he? He knows exactly what Simon is thinking. (laughs) You can tell what people are thinking sometimes by their faces. Perhaps that was it. But in any case, Jesus knew what was in Simon's heart. And he's also read the woman correctly uh, as well. Now, what about this woman? Uh, interestingly, Simon, Simon's name is recorded. Her name isn't. We don't know, we don't know what her name was. It's the deep contrast. Simon, the utmost pillar of respectability. Um, this woman called here a sinner. No doubt promiscuous, a reputation round the town for simply being outside the whole mercies of God. We're given this deep contrast in order to test the limits of the mercy of God. How far would God go to save somebody? How far would God go to save somebody? Uh, Would he go to King's Cross to save somebody? I I fully understand that he goes to the North Shore. I realise that. But would he go to the King's Cross to save somebody? Or even sort of Belmore, Bankstown. Bankstown, yes, yes, thank you. What do you know? Yes, yes, okay. Well, can you be included in God's mercy? Simon would say, I don't need to be. I don't need to have mercy. I just need to have my qualities recognised. I don't need mercy. I just need to be recognised for what I've achieved. Thank you. Pay me what I deserve, says Simon. I have lived well. Okay, now pay me what I deserve because I've lived well enough. That could well be Simon's attitude here. He never felt excluded. He never felt alienated from God. He was sure that God would be his good friend. But you see, instead of seeing the truth about Jesus, even the truth he did see about Jesus is now taken away from him. Yes, he was not only a Pharisee, he was one of the Pharisees who actually welcomed Jesus. Plus, 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 good on him. But now, now under these circumstances, his recognition of Jesus disappears. He now wonders who this is that he's taken into his house. For her part, now let's think about the woman for a moment. For her part, something has happened to her. 
We don't know. It must have happened before the story began. Somehow Jesus has encountered her somewhere. He said something to her. For her part, something has happened to her which is so significant that she's utterly overflowing with love, a pure love. Hence the tears and in public. This is, don't, don't confuse this with romantic love. This is a pure love. She has given something of such worth. She has been given something of such worth she can only express herself extravagantly. Now what we see here is a little picture of something called, ready, repentance. And if you're going to talk about forgiveness, you need to talk about repentance. I don't mean remorse. You've probably felt remorse. You've probably felt, why on earth did I say that? Haven't you? Or uh, you've probably felt regret. Why didn't I try harder? You've probably felt sorrow, perhaps when you're sent off the rugby field, <laughs> as one of my sons was. He sort of felt sorrow sometimes afterwards. You've probably felt sorrow, regret, remorse. That's not repentance. It may be involved in repentance, but it's not repentance. It doesn't lead to forgiveness. No, not real forgiveness. Repentance, repentance is something that works right down deeply inside you. It goes to the bottom of things, goes to the heart of things. And it says, not only have I committed this offence or this series of offences, not only have I done the wrong thing, I've now alienated the person and I need now to commit myself once more to that relationship or perhaps for the first time to that relationship. I need to turn completely. Uh, in the 1960s, we discovered individualism. We live for ourselves. Uh, we, uh, we, know, we don't want to marry. We just want to live together. We don't want to commit to others. We are commitment shy. Repentance attacks this individualism, which is so much part of our culture, and says, uh-uh, human life begins with commitment. Real human life begins with commitment. And you are being summoned to move away from yourself or in Simon's case, for the big case he was building up for himself that he was such a good person, move away from trust in yourself to trust in Jesus. Commitment to him. That's the barrier. Many people realise they need forgiveness. I hope all of us realise we need forgiveness. Many people are sorry about what they've done. I, I know a man at the moment who's going through deep sorrow for what he's done and uh, he's really made a mess of his life, I can tell you. Everyone knows it. Even he knows it. He's very, very sorry. But there's no repentance. He keeps blaming everyone else. And that's how you can tell there's no repentance. He blames himself and he blames others. But he doesn't do what needs to be done he doesn't come back in true humility, in repentance, and say, I've made a complete mess of this. I have no right to come back and even talk to you at all. But I would like to be forgiven. I recognise that you can cast me off, but I would like to be forgiven. Now that's the beginnings, at least, of repentance. A life which has been committed in one direction now completely transformed, not by morality, not by trying to be a good person all over again or something like that. It's not New Year's Eve stuff, that nonsense. 
Look, repentance involves the power of friendship, the power of a relationship that is so significant when you let it come into your life that you can never be the same again. Uh, one of my children um, uh, existed on next to no money for years because he was so lazy he'd never get a job. And uh, he was at uni at the time. He could just get by on $3 for coffee. Um, well, that means other people paid for his coffee mainly. Uh, his mother was alarmed and I, in one of my strokes of wisdom I said, don't worry, when he falls in love, you'll get a job. And I was right for once. <laughs> love transforms a human being. Commitment. Desire to be with the other. And repentance involves sorrow for the past and a desire to put yourself as a follower as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's repentance. And there's no substitute for it. Not a million years of church going can make up for repentance. No, not if you read the Bible all the way through six times. That's not the same thing as repentance. Repentance is that. Now, just briefly, think about the guest. Well, we've already seen his insight. He can see Simon's heart. What about his story, the story he told Simon? He says two people, you know, one owes a little, one owes much. Which one really loves? And Simon's forced to say, oh, the one who, it's all very uh, nasty for poor old Simon. The one who loves most, he says, the one who's been forgiven most. He puts Simon in a very, very awkward place. But then he turns to the woman. He says, you haven't done, you haven't, you, you didn't provide for me. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my head. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, listen, look, I tell you, her, how would you like this said about you? Her sins, which are many. How would you like Jesus to say this about you? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much. The demonstrate not not she loved much, therefore her sins are forgiven, but her love is an ample demonstration that she's realised that her sins are forgiven because she repents. He who has been forgiven little, in his own mind, loves little. And she said and he said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. In all the world I can't think of a better sentence aimed at my head than Jesus saying to me, your sins are forgiven. I, I can't think of a sentence I'd like to hear more than that one. Your sins are forgiven. Because I've paid the price. Because justice has occurred already. Because I died on the cross so that your sins may be forgiven. The quest says, who is this that forgives sins? <laughs> Fair question. Only God can do it. And Jesus did. And then he says to her, look, verse 50, the last verse there, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Faith is another name for that repentance. Faith is trusting yourself to Jesus. That's what it is. Trusting Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Well, there we are. I've chosen to talk to you tonight because of the, this passage about forgiveness. Are you as, offend, are you, as an offender, are you as bad as this prostitute? Are the things in your life as bad as what she was in her life? Maybe even worse? 
Well, then the story tells you you can be forgiven. Whatever you brought here tonight against yourself, whatever your conscience has told you about tonight as you've been here, you can be forgiven because Jesus died for you. And just say you came here tonight like Simon, not even thinking you needed to be forgiven. That's worse than the prostitute. That's more dangerous spiritually. I've got some news for you, Simon. You can be forgiven too. But it's going to cost you the same price as it cost the prostitute. Namely, to say no to yourself and to commit to Jesus Christ, to have faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, true repentance. Well, this is a story about friendship and love. This is a story about the need for forgiveness. We know every family needs forgiveness to survive. In fact, every person needs forgiveness in order to have eternal life. So I come back and ask you this question. Who has forgiven you? Have you done that bit of your life yet? Have you been forgiven? And I'm going to say to you tonight that this is a moment for decision. For some of you have been drifting. Some of you have never fixed this problem. Some of you have just let it drift along while you've been thinking about other things. And tonight I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer for you if that's your situation. I'm going to pray a prayer for you to say in your heart, along with me. Some of you have prayed this prayer already. You, you are forgiven. You know you are. Some of you may not have reached this stage yet. You're still questioning. And that needs to be taken care of too. But for some of you here tonight, forgiveness is the issue. You need to be forgiven. Jesus Christ will forgive you if you commit your life to him. And he has the right to forgive you because he died for you. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve the gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.